0: Amen. Well, um, let's read together, can we? Romans chapter 16, the end of the letter to the Romans. Romans chapter 16, it might sound like, as we're reading, a bit of a strange passage for a sermon, but uh, I think it'll all make sense. Let's stand together. Romans chapter 16, verses 1 to 20, it'll be on the screen for you. You can follow along there or in your Bible. Romans 16, beginning at verse 1 to verse 20. I commend to you, this is the Apostle Paul writing... To the Roman Church, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a deacon in the church in Sincrea. Welcome her in the Lord as one who is worthy of honor among God's people. Help her in whatever she needs, for she has been helpful to many, and especially to me. Give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in the ministry of Christ Jesus. In fact, they once risked their lives for me. I am thankful to them, you think? And so are all the Gentile churches. Also, give my greetings to the church that meets in their home. Greet my dear friend Epinetus He was the first person from the province of Asia to become a follower of Christ. Give my greetings to Mary, who has worked so hard for your benefit. Greet Adronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who were in prison with me. They're highly respected among the apostles and became followers of Christ before I did. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ. And my dear friend Stachus. Greet Apellus, a good man whom Christ approves. And give my greetings to the believers from the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet the Lord's people from the household of Narcissus. Greet Give my greetings to Trifena and Tryphosa, the Lord's workers, and to dear Persis, who has worked so hard for the Lord. Greet Rufus, whom the Lord picked out to be his very own, and also his dear mother, who's been a mother to me. Give my greetings to Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobas, Hermas, and the brothers and sisters who meet with them. Give my greetings to Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and to Olympus, and all the believers who meet with them. Greet each other in Christian love. All the churches of Christ send you their greetings. And now I make one more appeal, my dear brothers and sisters. Watch out for people who cause divisions and upset people's faith by teaching things contrary to what you have been taught. Stay away from them. Such people are not serving Christ our Lord, they're serving their own personal interests. By smooth talk and glowing words they deceive innocent people. But everyone knows that you are obedient to the Lord. This makes me very happy. I want you to be wise in doing right and to stay innocent of any wrong. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. This week, I think it was actually on the drive down to Aaron's wedding, Kyle and I found ourselves singing the lyrics to a song. Uh, He takes the morning train and then, right? Do you remember that song? He works nine to five, something like that. How does it go? He takes, yeah, that's it. That's it. I I don't know why, I think we were stuck in five o'clock traffic. That's what it was on the way down to... The Long Beach, and so that song came to my mind, and Kyla joined in, and we found ourselves singing, and our kids were looking at us with these strange looks, and, and it took us back suddenly to the days that some of you will remember when we used to go to the mall, not together, we lived in different places, but as junior hires, and we would buy a single 45 album with an A-side and a B-side, and you'd get the two songs, you'd, you'd check out the top 10 for the week, the Billboard top ten, and pick which out, which one you thought was cool, and then you listen to it all week or all month until you raised another $1.49, or whatever it was, and then you go buy another one. Is there, is there anybody that remembers this? Okay, yes. Some of you are like, that's the weirdest thing ever that you would go to a store and buy music, especially on a little forty five. That's like a mini, uh, al, uh, mini LP album, like a vinyl thing. Um, Soon, as you will have recalled, those of you who remember those days with me, music moved to 8-track tapes. It just made a, a s- brief stop at 8-track. It, it was just a brief little window of time, and then it moved on to cassettes. And cassettes were around for a while, and many of us still in this room have a pretty good collection of cassettes. <laughs> I do. And I still have something that they'll play on as well. And, and cassettes made the mixtape famous, Right, because you could record the songs right off the radio, and you could you could have the dual cassette and record one cassette over on the other cassette. We were trading music uh, before the internet came along. Yes, yeah, so so cassettes were big, and then uh, I thought they were going to stay along around for a while, but then these compact discs emerged, and these little sleek just looked so fragile. How could you carry that around? You're going to break it in two. But, but the music was so crisp and clear, and so these CDs came along, and we thought for sure that this would be the end of it. And I remember the first commercial I saw for an iPod on TV. I still remember it. And, and I was trying to get my head around it. It's like, wait, there's, there's music, but there's, there's nothing that you put in there? It's, what do you mean a song is a digital file? I, why, why would anybody buy this? You know, it was the thinking. And, and yet now we see where music has gone digitally. And the, and the reality is we have no idea as to where it is going from this point. Um, some people here still prefer the vinyl or a CD or the digital. There probably is nobody here who prefers the eight tracks. Is there anybody that would be willing to? But, but the reality is that, that uh, these are all different ways of listening to music. And likely people could make a case here this morning for Or the one that they think is the best, the one that they think is their favorite? Who Again, who knows what's coming next? Well, the church, I want to connect this back to the church, has changed a lot as well over the last 2,000 years. The church has changed a ton over the last 20 years. Like 20 to 30 years, the church has changed more probably than it did in the previous 1970. I mean, it's just changed so radically even in the last um, 20 to 30 years. The message of the church, we hope and pray, hasn't changed but the formats and the expressions of church have changed radically. There, there's a lot, been big shifts in this. Much of the churches have changed, or much of the changes in the church have grown out of the desire. It, it's been for good. It's been out of, grown out of the desire to want to make the church more relevant or contemporary or contemporvent, I think was the word that uh, was floating around Facebook this week. Um, to, to try to make the, the message of the church that is so important more Connecting and 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 in such a way that the world around us would be able to hear and understand and live into that message. Times have changed, culture has changed, the the church is not what it used to be in in the eyes of the average American citizen in particular. We've been talking about these statistics in over the last couple of weeks about how 44% of the people in Santa Barbara, in the Santa Barbara region, are unchurched. Nearly half of the people haven't been to church in the last six months. And 16% of those people have never been to church, which again, ranks us number two in the nation in that category. No. Yeah. So, so these are some of the statistics, some of the realities of, of how churches are thought of and received in our world. And we've moved then from this one basic expression of church to several expressions or formats of church in hopes of reaching out to the world and being more relevant to the world Around us, there are traditional churches. There are seeker sensitive churches. There are liturgical churches and contemporary churches and missional churches and hipster churches. Absolutely, there are hipster churches. There are country churches and biker churches and many, many more types of churches. And while I would say that I am a fan of at least most of these expressions of church, and we could say, that many of them have met with some degree of success in their ability to reach out to the world around us and to those niche groups. What I'm suggesting in these weeks is that no matter what the outward form or expression is that a particular church takes, the true church of Jesus Christ will always have a set of defining core Characteristics. That no matter what it looks like on the outside, no matter what its expression, its outreach, its niche, at its heart, at its core, a church of Jesus Christ will always have a set of defining characteristics that allows the church to present its, its best self to the world and to make its greatest impact. And so we're calling this series Ecclesia, and remember. Uh, ekklesia is the Greek word that the writers of the New Testament consistently use to speak of the church. It is, it is not, the, the literal definition is not what we think of as church. The literal definition is not a building. It's, it's not a place. It's a people. And so when we see the word ekklesia, we're reminded that we don't go to a building when we go to church. We go to gather with a, a called out people. It doesn't, it's not a meeting. We, we always think we're going to church, we're going to a meeting, or we're going to a service. That's what we think of when we say we're going to church. But the original word, ecclesia it meant we're going to be a part of a movement, a, a, a movement of the people of God called out into the world that he has called us from and back into. So this is what we're talking about when we talk about ecclesia. And then the four marks of the church are, again, those taken from the Nicene Creed, written down, Finally, in 381 A.D. to give language to what clearly had been true about the church from its inception and what these early Christian leaders were identifying and and distinguishing as those core characteristics that the church in that generation, in previous generations, and in every generation should have as they lean into what it means to be the church of Jesus Christ. So here they are again. I think I have maybe a slide with these. Yeah, the church is, read it with me, one, holy, Catholic, and apostolic. And today, if you go to the next slide, we come to the third one, Catholic. Now, this is the word that when the Nicene Creed, or the Apostles' Creed for that matter, are read in Protestant churches in particular, everybody, let's just admit it, everybody just kind of freaks out. And it's like, wait a second, did I read the name on the church right when I came in here? What kind of church am I in here today? And, and, and we get one, yeah, okay, unity, I get that. Holy, yeah, all right, I understand that. Apostolic, well, I'm not totally sure what that means, but that sounds good. Catholic, what, what are you talking about? And, and I can't tell you the amount of times people have come up to me after, and maybe you've been one of them, who have come up to me after a service in which we have read the Apostles Creed or the Nicene Creed and just asked, what in the world are you doing here, Pastor James, having us read a creed that says that we are, uh, th- that we are a part of the Catholic Church? Well, um, our association, our only familiarity with this word in our culture is with the Roman Catholic Church, and so I understand that, and we're pretty sure that we're not that. Sometimes, um, Protestant churches just substitute the word universal, and maybe you've seen that, or sometimes they'll even just substitute Christian, one holy Christian apostolic church, and, and these are helpful at some level, but they don't really get at the meaning of the original word that was used in the creed, so it's probably, probably better, at least for our purposes today, to go ahead and clear up what the word means and be able to say it, at least those of us who are gathered now in the future when we read the creeds, to be able to say it with confidence and boldness and firmness as we declare what the church really is in uh, in the creed and in our lives. Um, To be clear, Catholic is not a biblical term. But it is one that the early Christian leaders developed in order to capture a very biblical idea. It comes from the Greek phrase katholou. And uh, it means this, according to the whole. The church, then, is according to the whole. It's the thought, thought to be a whole church. You can leave that up, Darren, if you want. So to say that the church is Catholic is, again, simply to say that it is whole. It is complete. It is, it is universal, yes, but it's a little bit more than that. It's It's whole. It was first used, this word, to speak of the church by St. Ignatius of Antioch in his letter to the Smyrnians in 110 A.D. This is an interesting piece of history, I hope, for you. Repeated in the early centuries by other church leaders, including probably most famously Augustine in his book, Confessions, and in his book, The City of God. Just speaking of the church as Catholic, as complete, as whole, as universal. It wasn't actually until the church experienced a major split in 1054. And you you want to talk about church splits. I mean, this was a big one. Really, up to that point, there had been other divisions, but there had been generally one church. And then in 1054 came along this great split that has got its own name. It was called the Great Schism. I mean, talk about a black mark (laughs) on the church. And yet it's become... Something that God has used, I believe. But in 1054, the, the Eastern churches said, we're going our way. We, we owe our allegiance to the, the, the Patriarch of Constantinople, the Eastern churches. And we're going to become what's known as the Eastern Orthodox Church, which has given rise to all the Orthodox churches. And the Western churches said, well, we're going to go our own way. We have allegiance to the Bishop of Rome, the Pope, and we're going to form our own movement, and we're going to call ourselves the Catholic Church. We're just going to assume that name that has been used for the whole church at this point. We're going to assume that name. And since it's taken, taken on other variations, it's become known as the Roman Catholic Church uh, in, in many circles these days. So that is a little bit of the history of it. We believe, um, when, again, when we say the, the creeds, then in our church, we're not saying that we believe in the big C, kind of Roman Catholic Church, although we see the, that that church is filled with brothers and sisters in Christ, without a doubt. Part of the Christian Church, What we're saying is bigger than that, that we believe in the worldwide, universal, global, whole church of Jesus Christ. So the church is not just one, understand this, but it's whole. You could have one apple, one, but it not necessarily be a whole apple. Somebody could have taken a bite out of it and it wouldn't all be there. I would have one apple, but I wouldn't have a whole apple. And the same was true for the church. You could have one united church, but certain pieces could be pulled out of it, or certain emphases or ideas could be removed from it, and you wouldn't have a whole church. And so the early Christian leaders said, not only do we have one church, but we have a whole church, when the church is being true to itself. So what does it look like for the church to be Catholic? What does it look like for the church to be whole? And why exactly is this history lesson and this idea even important, Pastor James? Well, over the centuries, different folks have had different ideas about what makes the church whole or what characteristics tie together the universal church. But three ideas in particular seem to emerge with some consistency. I want to share them with you briefly. The first is this idea. The church is Catholic when it moves in mission to the whole world. The church is Catholic when it moves in mission to the whole world. To put it simply, there is not a nation. There is not a people group. There is not a language. There is not a tribe. There is not a corner of the world somewhere that the Christian church doesn't have on its radar. That the Christian church doesn't believe it has a message to be addressed to that Part of the world, that people group, that language, that tribe, that nation. To say the church is Catholic is to say that we believe that God's salvation is good news. Not just for particular people, but for the whole world. We sang about that this morning in one of our songs. We believe that this good news of salvation and life in Jesus should be available to any and to all who would give it a hearing. And that it's upon the shoulders of the church, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to make sure that that message gets out to the whole world. He's got the whole world in his hands. We sang it as kids. Can we believe it as teenagers and adults? He's got the whole world In his hand. Remember, the church is the ecclesia. We're not the called in people of God. We're the called out people of God, out to the world around us to share that message. We're not bound by space or even time. We're not limited by geography or culture. And the Apostle Paul is such a great example of this the greatest and original Christian missionary. And this passage that we read from Romans, I just love it as its evidences all the people that he wanted to greet here at the end of his letter. All these people that his missionary life had, had brought him to. All the, the different folks that, that he had been led by the Holy Spirit to minister to. He had preached all over the known world. He had gone as far west and was headed at the end of this, at, at the end of Romans I think it is, or one of the other passages. He says, I'm on my way to Spain. He was going to get as far west as people knew in the day. Preaching to the whole known world. I love in, at the end of verse 5, in the middle of verse 5, he says, Pass greetings to my friend Epinetus." Did you notice that one? I know there are lots of names in this, but Epinetus stuck out to me for he is described as the first person from the province of Asia to become a follower of Christ. Not a bad little tagline for your name in the Bible. Yeah, I'm Epinetis. That's me he's talking about first person first convert in the province of Asia thank you very much I mean how awesome that that Paul wants to just highlight the mission of the church this was the mo the modus operandi of Paul and the early church they moved forward they reached out they extended the good news the gospel message it was just who they were they took seriously the words of Jesus And this maybe is our problem sometimes. We don't take as seriously as we should the words of Jesus, the commission of Jesus. I've got it for us again, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Let's uh, let's read it together, can we? Can you see that? Therefore, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all the nations, join me, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. There's something, there's a beautiful connection between going out to all the nations, to all the, ethne, to all the ethnic groups, the original language says. There's a beautiful connection between going out in mission and, and this promise of Jesus to be with us always. A lot of times we like to lean on the promise that Jesus will be with us always. But perhaps we forget that it's so intimately connected with this commission to go out into all the world. As you go into all the world making disciples, I will be with you. In Acts 1, it's go and be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. What this means is that if the church, catch me, if the church is not moving forward in mission, then, then a church like that has to ...whether or not they are a true church of Jesus Christ. The church is not advancing and moving out in mission to the whole earth. That's why we're a church that believes in missions. That's why we make a big deal of having people like Milton and Olga Gay... ...who were with us a few weeks ago. That's why we have a missions conference that several of us will go to in a couple of weeks... It's why we bring up guys like Tim and pray for him and give support for him so he can go in mission to places that have not heard the gospel around the world. We're we're a church that not only those sins, but we're a sent church. And so we need to continue to be thinking not only about how we're sending others, but about how we're sending, being sent ourselves. John Wesley, I talk a lot about him. He was a pastor and theologian in the 18th century. And uh, uh, an Anglican, but his teaching gave rise to the Methodist church. At one point in his life, he was this, just this proper, prim, kind of Anglican minister, but he felt the call, missions on his life, so he came to America. He was from England, and he came to America. And the reports of his missionary activity in the United States are that they were a horrible failure. Hardly any converts just... Complete discouragement and despair the whole time he was here. And he, so much so that he questioned his call to ministry. <laughs> As he got back on the boat to, to England, he was restored and redeemed. His confidence was renewed and he went on to have a great ministry. But later in his life, he was, he was kind of approached by the authorities in the Anglican church. And basically the message went like this. Uh, uh, Mr. Wesley, you need to settle down. You need to find yourself a good church, a good parish ministry to which you can give your life and ministry. You need to care for the people around you. You need to do some more weddings and some funerals and, and just kind of take care of that parish all around you. Wesley, um, Wesley couldn't do it. <laughs> he was too much moved to mission to sit still. Listen, listen to what he said. I look upon all the world as my parish. Thus far I mean that in whatever part of it I am, I judge it, meet, right, and my bounden duty to declare unto all that are willing to hear the glad tidings of salvation. This is the work which I know God has called me to, and sure I am that his blessing attends it. Great encouragement have I, therefore, to be faithful in fulfilling the work he hath given me to do. And so the saying about Wesley has become this, the world is my parish. (laughs) The world was his parish. That's the kind of church that God is calling us to be. That's a Catholic church that says, it's not just about us. It's not a holy huddle. It's a recognition that our message and this gospel movement is for the whole world. The church is Catholic that moves in mission to the whole world. Second one is this, the church is also Catholic when it embraces the whole family of faith. Church is Catholic when it embraces the whole family of faith. This means simply that the church, when it is being the church, is blind to anything that would separate us as the people of God. Any division or hierarchy or just better than or less than that would somehow pull the people of God apart. a, A Catholic church says, we don't see that. We are all one. We embrace the whole family of faith. The true church of Jesus recognizes that we're all human people, all saved by the same grace. We stand level at the foot of the cross. Nothing separates us as members of the body of Christ. Nothing elevates one person over the other. The toe is just as important as as the hand. the, the, The ankle just as important as the mouth. This body of Christ, we're all equally important and valid. Paul's list in Romans again. All the people he wanted to greet, so indicative of the value that the early church placed on every kind of person. Scholars have studied this passage and recognized that, that uh, here in this list are, are Roman names. There are Jewish names here in this list. There are slave, or there are names that were common among slaves in this list. There are n- names and actually characteristics that are spoken of that suggest that some of the people in this list were actually of great means, were of great wealth and influence in this list. There are names of a few men, and there are names of a lot of women. Did you notice that? How beautiful and appropriate that or lots of women leaders in the early church. What's clear to Paul is that these things just didn't matter. The true church of Jesus Christ, friends, gives room. I think you know this, but let me remind you. It gives room for people of all backgrounds, experiences, ages, genders, you name it. How, how, how tremendous as Michelle came and led us in that beautiful call to worship this morning. Using her gifts her spirit, how beautiful that we have people of various ages on our worship team leading us in worship, not dominated by one age or the other, expressions of the vitality and the vibrancy of the church. There's room in the Catholic church for everyone. Paul wrote about it in Galatians 3, 28, 26 and 28, I think. He said this, "...for you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus." And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. Therefore, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Some even talk about in the universal church, embracing the church of the past and the present and the future. That when we say the Catholic Church, it embraces the whole family of faith. Not only those who are with us now, but those who have come before us. So that when we read this passage from Romans and we hear about Phoebe and Tryphus and Trifosa and all these names that you just chuckled as I tried to pronounce them, we, we can realize that these are our sisters and our brothers in Christ. I was with a man this week and he was telling me that he was going to his his niece's funeral. She was 49 years old and passed away from, from cancer. And I was able to say, yeah, my, my wife's mother passed away from cancer in her 40s as well. And, and this lady had a 19-year-old and a 22-year-old uh, son and daughter. And I said, yeah, I, you know, good or bad, those kids will remember their mom. And uh, there's gonna be a lot of heartache. I mean, my wife still misses her mom very much. She knows she, you know, perhaps if your parents pass away when you're young, young, you don't remember everything and you don't maybe know all that you're missing. But when you're older, you, you know. My, my wife, Kyla, knows what she's missing when she thinks about it. And all the things, all the journeys in life that you go through. And, and I said, the, the one thing that we've done is that we've just tried to, to kind of keep Grandma Karen alive in our conversation. And so our kids hear about Grandma Karen all the time. And sometimes they'll stop and say, no. Who is that again? <laughs> we we'll us say, well, that's mommy's mom. That's your grandma. But we try to keep her alive. Gra- grandma Karen would do this. Grandma Karen would not let you do that. Grandma Karen, We sometimes we, you know, can blame her. And it's really kind of. <laughs> the, the beauty of this is that, that, that we're a part of the church even right now. That as a part of the Catholic church, we embrace this whole family of faith. Those believers like Grandma Karen and so many that are so close to you that have gone before us. We are. We're we're in harmony, in wholeness with them. And those that haven't even been born yet, those who are still to come, who will put their faith in Christ, there's a sense in which we are whole as the church of Jesus Christ. The church is Catholic when it embraces the whole family of faith. Finally, though, here's the last one, perhaps most importantly, the church is Catholic when it holds to the whole teaching of the Christian faith church is Catholic when it holds to the whole teaching of the Christian faith. The church always must remain true to itself in its beliefs and in its practices. The church always must take its cues from Jesus and only Jesus. Again, we live in a world that as we enter into it wants to influence the church and speak into it and have its impact on the way that we think and understand and respond to Jesus, to his call, to the word in our lives. It's always the church is in the world, but not of the world. The church, listen, the church can never lose itself in politics or in self help or in personal opinion all these things are trying their best to get into and flavor and distort and impact the way that we think about God and his world. We can use these things absolutely as tools perhaps but we always have to remember that they're they're not ultimate truth. It's God that and his word that 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 impacts these things going outward and not these things that impact God and his word and his church coming inward. The church will always remain focused on and committed to the core of the Christian faith in essentials, unity. The Catholic church is still holy. The Catholic church is still apostolic. It's connected to the original teaching of the apostles who got it straight from Jesus' mouth. And so the church then is is whole. Paul appropriately concludes his letter to the Romans with a warning. And and some scholars think that Paul dictated most of his letters and he had a a scribe who was writing for him. But but likely at this point, just by the tone of his words, likely some scholars think that, that he probably grabbed the pen from the scribe's hand. And he said, okay, you got all those greetings? Now give me the pen. I got something that I need to write with my own hand. It's a warning to watch out. And the words are these, to, for those who would cause division and upset people's faith by teaching things contrary to what they had been taught. This has been a concern from the beginning and it continues to be a concern in our world today. The church in our time endeavors to teach the same fully adequate doctrine that the apostles received. Look at this from John 1, 1 John 1. We proclaim to you The one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. You think John wants to get a point across there? (laughs) We've seen him, people. And all we share with you is what we have seen and heard and experienced in Jesus. And if you want to have fellowship with us, if you want to be a part of the whole church the Catholic Church, the universal church, then this is what you believe as well. I've shared several times about the pastors in our town who get together for prayer. And uh, the cool thing about a lot of pastors from a lot of traditions in our church, Christian traditions, is that we actually like each other. It's strange, I know. But we we actually like each each other. And we love each other. And we love each other's churches. It's cool. One of the great things about living in California and not in the Midwest somewhere, is that, that we don't have to feel any sense of competition. <laughs> there's, there's plenty of work to be done <laughs> in our city. With 44% unchurched, it's not like we have to worry about, well, are they going to steal our idea and get a few more people than we are? No, no, no. It's just this sense of, hey, man, what are you doing? Hey, sister, what are you doing? Let's work together as we move forward in, in mission to our city. And we get together and pray, and and because our theological difference, we do have some theological differences, we have decided to pray primarily about two things. We pray for the fullness of Christ in his church, that that the church would just be full of Jesus. And then we pray for the fulfillment of the Great Commission, that the message of Jesus would go out in and through and beyond our churches. And as we do, we have this, this, this... beautiful, just tangible right before us reminder every month as we gather to pray that really at the end of the day that's, that's what matters. Our theological distinctiveness, our Wesleyan, our Calvin, our Reformed, our Catholic, our Anglican, our Orthodox, our Baptist, what, I mean Lutheran, I mean, whatever you, you want to say that could divide us, when it comes back to it we say, you know, but what's at the center is Jesus. That's what we Hold to. We hold to that firm. What a privilege it is to be united in Christ. And here's the the last privilege, really, as we prepare to receive communion this morning is that we, as a local church, right here, just Santa Barbara Coast community, we get to be a part of this Catholic church. We get to be a part of something that is so much bigger than we see and experience even from week to week. I love what we experience from week to week, don't get me wrong. But I love to recognize, especially as we come to to moments like this, as we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper, that that as we do this, we are doing something that has been done by God's people for 2,000 years. As Jesus instituted this meal for his followers, we've been, God's people have been sharing it and taking it, and as we do, we join into it. And we recognize our place in this beautiful, whole Catholic church. Let's pray together, can we? God, this uh, this this church isn't uh, just some mom and pop corner store. <laughs> this church isn't some little struggling institution. This church that we're talking about is the movement of God in the world that we get to be a part of. It's a force to be reckoned with. So God, help us to live into that reality today. Help us to live into what it means to be a part of the Catholic Church according to the whole. And help this this whole church to recognize what it has and what we have to offer to the world as we hold to to, to the core of Christian teaching. God, what has always been taught from your very lips, Lord Jesus, as we celebrate and embrace the diversity of the church and give space and room for all of God's people to, to live into discipleship and become fully following you and to share in ministry, may we continue to move out in mission to the whole world. God, the, the world in which we're a part needs a church that is whole. The 44% who are without a church home, the 16% in our region who've never, ever had a church home, they, they need a church that isn't just kind of going part way. They need a church that is, is all in, all in with you and for you. So as we receive this meal today with believers all around the world who share in it today and who have shared in it for centuries, God, we make that declaration. We're all in to this one holy apostolic and Catholic people of God, the ecclesia. Call us and shape us and bless us and use us for your glory, O God, today. Thank you, Jesus that you gathered with your disciples on that night that you were betrayed and you broke the bread and you passed it to them and you said, this is my body broken for you. Take of it and eat and as you do, remember me. And in the same way, you took the cup, Lord Jesus, and you passed it. You said, this is the symbol of my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Take of it and drink. And as you do, remember me. So we come, Lord Jesus, remembering you, our hearts centered, focused on you as the head of the church, desiring that our lives would be formed and shaped in your likeness. Even now, we pray this.